Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode, you lucky lucky things, well... It's Matt Osman from Suede. It was an absolute privilege to sit and chat with Matt, and as you're about to find out, he's an absolute gentleman. Before we get on with the podcast, I should quickly say a big thank you to Scribius Pip and the Distraction Pieces Network, and thank you to Mr. 76 for producing this. I should also mention that if you enjoy interviews with musicians um, or producers and DJs, um, actors discussing their creative journey and the music that soundtracked it, please go and explore the the back catalogue of this podcast because there's probably 60 or 70 episodes there for you to get stuck into chatting to plenty of people who I'm sure you've um, admired their work over the years. If that's not enough, there's also a Patreon page where each week I put an episode up there as well. So you can support this podcast by going and having a look at that or maybe buy a T-shirt or something like that because we also have merchandise. I say we, me. Um, The one-stop shop to find out about all of the uh, aforementioned is www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com so go over there and that'll tell you everything you need to know back to the job at hand it gives me great pleasure to introduce this episode so please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with the wonderful Matt Osman I've got an announcement Save Our Souls Clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively 
and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. We're at the WeWork building in Mark Square in East London. And I'm joined today by Matt Osman. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm I'm very good. I'm I'm very excited to to be sitting opposite you today to be able to um, chat about the songs that have been very significant in your creative yeah. journey this far. Um, we've been trying to get this. Well, I should say we've never met before. Um, been trying to get this one sorted for a few months now, but you've, as we've just been speaking Final, about, I finally come east, ventured into East London. You did. You hit me up out the blue, saying um, I'm I'm free tomorrow. Can you do it? So it was like absolutely and. Uh, We'll, we'll get on to what you've been up to um, in the recent months, I'm sure, as this, this podcast unfolds. But I always like to start, Matt, with track one, which is the song with the greatest intro. Yeah, um, I've gone for Love Hangover by Diana Ross, which probably sounds like the least suede record of all time. But um, it's a record I absolutely love. And I had this kind of... I, I kind of got into music in the kind of post-punk... Um, you know, you couldn't be in the, the charts, everything had to be underground, you know what I mean? Anything that, that was, was pop music was, 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 was bad. Um, and this, there were just like huge swathes of music that I kind of missed out on. My parents didn't, they had about six records. And, you know, so if you listen to the radio, there was no, there was, I mean, there was no black music on mm-hmm. it at all. So there was just big chunks of stuff that I never really heard, you know, unless... Unless kind of Paul Weller had, had talked about it. I knew like Curtis Mayfield yeah. and stuff through him. But there were big chunks of stuff I'd never heard. And weirdly, this track, I, I don't think I heard it until I was like 40 or something. And heard it and was like, oh my God, this is like some amazing deep cut. You know mm. what I mean? Because it's just got this, it's an incredibly kind of like physical record, really kind of sultry and stuff. And I can remember talking to a couple of people about it who were like, yeah, it was like a, it's like a massive record yeah. in the 70s. It's, it's on every, now that's what I call disco compilation, yeah. you know. It's about as mainstream as you could get. Um, but it, it, the nice thing about it is still nowadays I come across these things that I really ought to know mm. that just are, are completely new to me. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that one. And it's just got this insane ridiculously sultry kind of stretched out intro it's kind of i think on one one version it's it's like two minutes long and um 
and I've, I've tried to rip it off so many times <laughs> because there's, there's just there's a little groove to it. And you know, the number of times I've been at home and I've thought, you know, I just want that thing. Yeah. Go down. That'd be great. And you can't do it. Mm. There's something. There's something in the chemistry of the way those people play together that is just. It just. It just. It fits beautifully. I like to ask guests, especially musicians uh, on here, when, when we discuss this one, um, about how, as, a, as an artist, you approach an intro. And I'd like to also ask you, do you approach it differently now as to maybe you did in the early stages of Suede because of the way that people listen to music now and maybe don't, don't give music as long to, 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 to make its way into them now. It's so disposable. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm trying exactly, to say? I, I know exactly what you're, you're trying to say. Weirdly, I think possibly almost the opposite. Mm. We went through a, 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 kind of, a, a kind of strange epiphany. Um, when, when we did the first record, when we came back, when we did Blood Sports, it, it, was, it, it was all about kind of doing those kind of like punchy, kind of single-sounding things, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, and being quite ruthless and don't bore us, get to the chorus, stuff like that. Um, and then when we made the second one, it was, I don't know, we just, everyone was talking about this kind of like the, the Spotify thing and, you know, you have to get to things quickly and, 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 uh, and um, was talking about, um, you know, people switching off after after a few seconds and everything, and it just didn't feel like that when I talked to people about mm. about the record. You know what I mean? It d- didn't feel that that was was their experience. So we made a record that's that's basically one long piece of music. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, and all of you know, there's there's kind of two minute intros and stuff like that. There's there's slow ramp ups and stuff, and and people <coughs> loved it. You know what I mean? And I think it's 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 kind of like um, we're not really in that business that some people are forced into of, yeah. of, of trying to get as many clicks as possible, as trying to get as many playlists as possible. Um, and the minute we kind of heard about it, our immediate reaction was to go the other way. Yeah. Um, and it's been amazing for us. But yeah, we think. I mean, we think a lot about about structure and things like mm. that I mean Brett has a trick that he's used many times of 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 slipping kind of un incomprehensible lyrics into the start of a song so that you're just you're drawn and you've got the mood of it but you don't really know what's happening yeah and I mean lots of the early records start with the drums uh, uh, just because we would we'd be taping them in the rehearsal room and Simon would say, let me play the drums first so I can remember the drum bit. Right. And then, and then we'd just be like, okay, that sounds really good. So lots of the early stuff, you know, kind of Dolly and the Drowners and things like that are all, they're all kind of, they start with the drums. But yeah, yeah I mean, we're, we're pretty obsessive about structure and building and storytelling. In, in, uh, you mentioned storytelling then and, and you know, we, we touched on the, the, the kind of, that, that of having the singles and stuff like that. Do you still, uh, Suede as a band, release an album to be listened to as a piece of art, as, as an album? Yeah, entirely. I, yeah. I think almost more than more than we ever have done. You know, it's... The, I mean, the first album was... 
like most people's first albums, it was basically the live set yeah. with a couple of things that we wrote. But as soon as we got the chance, when we wrote Dogman Star, we sat down and wrote an album. There's an intro to the album. Massively. Introducing the band yeah. is, you know, it's kind of... And it's almost like that idea of... It's like a fractal idea that the whole record has an intro and an outro, yeah. and then each track has a starting point and sure. a point. You can sort of break it down smaller and smaller. But, yeah, it's... it's I'm... One of the things that I kind of bemoan about a lot of music nowadays is, is a lost sense of drama. Um, and that's partly to do with kind of having to be loud to get on the radio and having to be short to get on the radio and all those kind of things. But I love uh, the sense of rise and fall that you can get, you know, the kind yeah. of, the, the, you know, it's, it's the oldest story, but the, the journey that it takes you on. It, picks you up here and it drops you off there yeah. and to do that you have to you have to move in, in certain ways so yeah we're pretty obsessive I mean Brett will spend two hours doing a, a live set list for exactly that reason yeah. kind of like oh, yeah but if we start with that it's kind of does it lose pace here where's the you know where's, where's, where does it stretch out where does it tighten up all those kind of Is things Is Brett responsible for that or do you all Oh yeah no, I mean yeah. he's uh, literally obsessed and, and track listings for the record yeah. as well you know He'll send you over like, okay, here's eight different track listings. Which one do you prefer? And by kind of like three, everyone's like, you decide. Sure. You're, you're the only one who's listened to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, for track two, uh, Matt, I'm going to ask you the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. This is a really, really difficult question, actually, because, you know, when I actually thought you know, seriously about it. I think the major emotion I got from music when I started was, was it cool or not? You know, I, I don't think I went into it at kind of like 12, um, changing my emotional state with music. It was just kind of like, this is really cool, mm. and this isn't. You need some kind of, I guess, some kind of emotional heft to you. You need to have gone through some stuff for for records to make sense. But that emotion hasn't necessarily got to be sadness. It can be joy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting question. Actually, what I was thinking about a lot was my my parents used to love the Carpenters. Absolutely loved them. And of course, I hated them for that reason, you know, just because it was my parents' music. Um, But every now and then, I hear them now, and I think, like, what was I thinking? She's got the most incredible voice. How can... The tone of her voice is pure sadness. It's, I, it's, I don't know how no, that it's, is it's possible. And, and especially when she's doing kind of like Mr. Postman yeah. or something, like these big songs. Yeah. You know, that are kind of, and still, Joyous records, yeah. yeah. yeah like but, <laughs> um, so in a weird way, you know, things like... Um, Rainy Days and Mondays, which you played, like, which is, is is a beautiful, beautiful song and uh, um, an incredible kind of um, just sneaking such darkness into yeah. something. You know what I mean? It's it's it, it's an incredible record. In a way, it would be something like that. I mean, if it, if it's in terms of joy, then it was people like the, the Jam and the Bunny Man and stuff. But I I was thinking about this a lot, and I was remembering that. The Velvet Underground were the band that I kind of loved. They were the first band that made me think, "Oh right, this is kind of I could I could make a record like this." I could make. How old were you then? 
oh god probably quite old you know like 13 or 14 something like that um but it was that weird time when um their records were really expensive so i'd heard about them i'd heard about them through kind of bowie and the bunny man and people like that and i was kind of like right i'm going to get into this lurie guy and the only record that they had on sale at our price, which is my local record shop, that I could afford was, was Coney Island Baby, the album, which is I mean, it's a genuinely bad record. <laughs> it's, it's so knocked off, you know, just kind of like... And it's got these terrible kind of rock and roll songs in it that are just... Uh, they're just not very good. And I can remember at the time thinking, this is the guy? What's this, the fuss about? This is the kind of, like, you know, the, the threat to Western civilization. Yeah. But there is a tra- there's, a tra- there's a track on that the, the title track Coney Island Baby, which is a it's a deeply strange record when I think about it. It sounds a bit like Dire Straits. It's kind of it's very very laid back and adult, and it's mainly him talking about um, playing football for his high school coach and uh, and going through through this kind of um, existential dread. Of, of of these two lives, or, or, that's how I saw it at the time. But I can remember at the time it being a really moving record in a really strange way, in a way that I didn't really understand, because I was used to records that were about, you know, like I said, I love people like the Jam, and mm. I was talking about, you know, Britain in the time that sure. I lived and people my age, um, and then this record comes along that sounds, uh, you know, a bit like Sultans of Swing, and it's talking about high school football and something but it's still a record that has a real kick to me and I'm not sure why there's there's something in his voice which is so wistful about youth and I think those things are really appealing when you're 14 15 yeah absolutely because you feel like you feel like you're grown up you yeah know what I mean and your and your youth is going it's kind of like if I'd known that my youth would last until about 25, I probably would, <laughs> wouldn't have worried about it. But, um, but yeah, that's a record that that I really love, and I, I played it again recently. And it's there are certain records you listen to them and you think, where does the magic bit get in? Because yeah. it, it's it's so it, it sounds like session guys at three in the morning. Yeah. He's talking through most of it. There's all these weird things. Someone does a dedication halfway through it. Shout out to Lou and Rachel. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, that song and lots of his stuff, lots of stuff like Stephanie Says and um, uh, the Berlin album and things like that were... They were the first things that I kind of... I could see how they they were made, you know what I mean? Because I... I wasn't pl- really playing an instrument at that time. But was you deconstructing music then? I th- yeah. I, the thing about those records, especially the Velvet Underground records, is is you can hear the people making them. Mm. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't matter that... I mean, they're great musicians. It's not that kind of like... It's not the Pistols thing of, of mm. kind of uh, being amateurish. But you can hear... You know, you can hear fingers on strings and you can hear coughs and asides mm. and all that kind of stuff. And... There's something really powerful about that, especially if you're kind of like the music that you're hearing on the radio is, is you know, kind of like Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet and, and all those people, um, which has this kind of impossible sheen to it. Yeah. I mean, I, I quite like 
that sound. Yeah. But, you know, a kind of 14, 15, kind of flapping at a bass, yeah. it's like... Uh, these are different. These are yeah. this is a different species. You know yeah. what I mean. And then you hear the, the, the underground records, and it's like, oh right, okay, that's the, that's where where they start from. You know, yeah. they're so they're so kind of raw and unadorned and um, un kind of unashamed. You know what I mean? There's something really powerful about about not um, not not kind of sugarcoating what you do. Yeah. So when you were listening to this, where, where, whereabouts was this? Where was you born? Um, I was born in Welling Garden City. Um, but this is, in, this is in Haywards Heath. I moved to Haywards Heath when I was... Well, my parents moved to Haywards Heath when I was five. So that's where I grew up. It's, it's next door to Brett. Um, we went to kind of neighbouring schools. Um, and it's... What's it like? It's a, it's a satellite town. It's, sure. It's one of those places that... You know, 7.30, the entire town gets on a train to London and it's like a wasteland until they all come home again. When I first started doing this podcast, the, the, the initial reason I set it up was to, was to kind of discuss that. Because I live in Essex and, uh, and it's very similar. You know, at 7.30, yeah, yeah, yeah. everybody... And, and, and anybody that I know that's generally kind of pursued the creative industries... The, the natural step is right. Well, we move to London, mm. and like, did you feel that calling? Oh God, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was um, that was entirely, you know, it, it was kind of the aim of life. Yeah, you know, it, it, it really was. It, it's, I mean, Hayward's Heath is, it's a very, it's a very strange place. It didn't have when I was growing up. It didn't have a cinema. It didn't have uh, bands. Didn't play there. Um, I mean, there was literally nothing. Yeah, bar the pub. It was one of those things... Where do you find your culture if you haven't got either of those? It's, it, it's really strange. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it really is. And, and one of the th- things, you know, I think about a lot with, with some of these records that I'm, I'm talking about is that there's, there's these kind of, like, gateway records. Because I didn't have an older brother or sister, so I didn't have um, a record collection to, to, to go on. I mean, I can remember going around to, to Brett's house for the first time and... Uh, and he had a mural of, of Pink Floyd, The Wall, on on his wall. And I'd never even heard of it. You yeah. know what I mean? I knew... I'd heard um, Another Brick in the Wall, because it was a single. But huge swathes of, of culture, mm. I just... I knew nothing about. Yeah. So what would happen is there'd be certain records and certain people, you know, when I got into Bowie, it was like... A door opening up, you know, from Bowie to Iggy Pop, you know, Bowie to Kraftwerk, Bowie to Patti Smith, you know, all of these things came from kind of like these certain few yeah. records. And it was the same with, with with the jam, you know, it's kind of, I look back on uh, my early record collection and it's either people that Paul Weller liked or the Bowie liked. Yeah. You know? Because I didn't, that, that, that was how I found out about music, that, yeah. that and, and the NME. Yeah, and uh, you had no money, so lots of tapes of, of of kind of like other people's older brothers' records. But yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's at the time I hated living there. Truly, truly hated it because it. I was incredibly jealous, jealous of, of 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 city people and people who were proud of their city. I mean, not necessarily London, but you know. 
a lot of the bands that are like you know like like the Bunny Men and the Smiths later on had this real sense of of kind of their culture and their town and, and them against the world. Do you think they did, or do you think that was the press? I th- I think they did. You know what I mean. You you look at you look at um, you look at the Bunny Men and the kind of the Crystal Day stuff. Yeah, they did you know, which, which is a celebration of the city. Mm. And you and you look at the way, you know, Morrissey sang about Manchester, and you look at you know Joy Division. You know what I mean. It's 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 steeped in them, mm. and. I didn't think at the time that, that suburbia could really do that at all. And it's not even suburbia, you know, it's not, it's not even Bromley, it's not even kind of like, yeah. you know, um, one of those places where they oh, it's so boring and everything, you kind of like, yeah, but it's half an hour to London. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's death. But then I suppose the, the thing about that is you do make your own entertainment. Yeah. And I wonder what would have happened if I'd grown up with, in London. Yeah, because when you look at kind of actual bands who who grew up in London, I mean they were like kind of Jamiroquai or something. You know what I mean? They were mm. they were sophisticated and all these kind of things, and they didn't wear their heart on their sleeves. Um, so it was probably a great place to grow up. Yeah, it didn't feel it at the time. Did you feel when you moved to London you had something to prove? Um, I don't know. Maybe not that because I didn't think anyone was taking any notice you know what I mean it wouldn't have really mattered if we had something to prove it was more about getting heard I think I say prove something to say oh yeah totally totally we you know when we when we started writing songs with Bernard um after the first kind of batch of them which were which were terrible kind of like Smiths and Lloyd Cole rip-offs you know once we found a little bit of a, a voice, um, yeah, it was almost kind of... It's, it's really hard to describe. There's almost like a language to it, you know what I mean? I would, I would listen to what Brett was saying and the way he talked about life and, and the lyrics and stuff and then the boldness of what Bernard was doing. And then we go out and see bands. We, you know, we used to go out and see bands every night. It's, it's, it's you know, like an education... And there was lots of kind of uh, very kind of uh, 60s effecty, shoegazy stuff. And yeah, but I mean, very quickly, we were, we were just kind of like, but we're better than this, surely. Yeah. And then it's, it was such a slow process. And again, it fit, at the time it felt like wading through treacle, it really did. It was great, great education. Yeah. Because we, you know, we made so many mistakes, but we made them to three people and a dog you know what I mean um, but yeah it was it's I don't know there's something about I think everyone in the band had a real need to uh, to be heard you know what I mean it's it's kind of like if you grow up in a a vaguely kind of working class lower middle class area and um you don't have any other talents. You, you you can feel kind of invisible. You know what I mean? It's it's it, it, it's quite a strange thing. You don't feel like the like the bands that you see or the people that you see. And and it's yeah. I can remember the the biggest thrill being when we started off. Just this sense that 
there were people in the crowd who were listening to you or the first time you get reviews and you think someone oh my god someone actually listened yeah you know and they tell you something that you didn't know about yourself you're kind of like this is such a strange experience and it it's a weird thing because it it would be good for everyone you know what i mean Mm. it's 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 a really really good thing for people to listen to each other and take each other seriously you know it it sounds like a really simple thing but it's easy to go throughout your life with no one ever actually listening to anything you say hello i've interrupted the podcast again haven't i sorry it won't take a sec all i want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast if we can't play them it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such so if you want to hear the songs just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Well, that kind of... Brings me on to, 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 to track three, Matt, which is, um, I want to talk about school a little bit. School. And, uh, and f- firstly, the track that reminds you of your time at school. Oh, I picked um, That's Entertainment by The Jam. Um, yeah, there's, there, there's a swathe of bands that are just school bands for me. Yeah. You know, the Specials, The Jam. It's that kind of just post-punk, finding their feet thing. But The Jam were just like... Um, I think they were just our, our band, you know yeah. what I mean? I think it, in in a way that they were young enough that you could identify with them. Um, they were kind of scruffy enough. It seems weird now because he's such a peacock, but, you know, compare, again, compared yeah. with the, with the um, uh, you know, the Duran Durans and stuff, it was yeah. kind of like, oh, I, I could dress like that, you yeah. know, stay pressed, you know, waffle yeah. your cardigan. It was affordable, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, it's kind of mm. like loafers. Okay, yeah, that's, I could be one of those guys. Um, and, you know, I can still remember going underground, going to number one, and it being this this real moment of, like, it's, it's, it's like, like our band at number yeah. one. And still, you know, over the years it happens again and again still I get a little thrill from it you know what yeah. I mean it's kind of but is, is, is that is that also sort of yin to that yang also that feeling of like yeah but they're our band I don't want everyone knowing about them um no I'm kind of okay with that yeah it's it's you know I one of the things that I mean I'm kind of quite grateful for is that there's a set of bands from my adolescence, the jam, the pretenders, blondie, who had number ones, but they were the coolest thing around. Yeah. Um, and for for the longest time, that didn't happen anymore. Yeah. It, it, you had to choose. You know, you were kind of alternative, mm. or you were mainstream. And I'm really glad that I I grew up in a time when. You could be both, you know, because yeah. I mean? it was. I think it was something that that, that was really Im- important to us when we were starting out. Um, I think, you know, partly it, it's it's um, 
it's a, a kind of artistic, emotional thing. It's like it's important to reach a load of people. You know what I mean? I don't want to just be doing this in my bedroom, blah blah blah. And, and partly it was kind of economic. Yeah. I think there was the other thing that a lot of bands that that we played with when we first started out didn't need to make any money from their music to make music. Mm -hmm. um, but we did. So there was always that kind of like, we need to get a record contract, we need to sell some records, we need yeah. to do some shows. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you mentioned that like, it felt like you were sort of wading through treacle earlier. Yeah. Like, as someone that was, when, when swayed to me, the first moment I heard a suede, it felt within two months yeah. you were the biggest band on the planet and everybody was talking about you. Um, I want to know how that felt. And that moment where you talk about bands crossing over as well, I had that moment when suede were on the Brit Awards uh -huh. and Brett was whacking the mic on uh -huh. his ass, and it just felt like... It's probably the moment where my parents were like, what's this? And it was like, yes. <laughs> like, it was like, they're my band. Yeah. You know? No, no. I <laughs> they seized the moment. I totally appreciate that. It, <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing feeling. You know, you know it's, it's so easy to talk about the, the kind of the pitfalls and the problems of, of, of becoming well-known really quickly. But, but, but there's, uh, there's an amazing side to it. Yeah. It felt when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Great. I mean, we, we had spent three years playing to nobody with no record companies interested. And, you know, it's... It's London, it's cold and it's dark and it's expensive and you feel like you're banging your head against the wall. Yeah. So when it, the wall falls down, it does feel amazing, mm. you know, and it's kind of, it's, I would gift it to anyone, those kind of like, that first year. Yeah. It, it's, it's really good for you, it's good for the soul, it really is. Um, no, it, it was it was an amazing feeling. It, it was, but it came about. The reason it came about was because 
we'd spent three years getting good. You know what I mean? It, it's if if I think we'd been lauded when we started, it would have been completely different mm. because you know we were okay and but we were a bit ropey live and some of the songs were terrible. Um, but we'd really honed and honed and honed until we had this really tight set that worked. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's that thing. It's, it's, we took a long time to be a, an overnight sensation. Mm. I think it's almost impossible now. I mean, that's one of the things that, that's really weird is you have to remember that no one had really heard our music. If you didn't live in Camden... You couldn't hear us. Yeah, we hadn't had we hadn't had a single out. It, it's not like now that that you know you you could look at a YouTube or Spotify or whatever. Mm. You know what I mean? It was literally we appeared in the press and and loads of people were like, "Where the fuck's this guy? Yeah, where does he come from?" And I think it felt to me at that point that uh, yeah, the, the the term Britpop came a little while after, yeah. and and for me. At the time, you know, I was listening to Jane's Addiction, Smashing Pumpkins, mm. Nirvana, and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, hang on a minute, there's this something exciting coming out of the UK now. Because it felt like the attention was overseas at that oh, point. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. And, and all of a sudden, somebody probably much like Weller spoke to you, there was somebody singing about London. Yeah. And, and not necessarily like... The wonderful parts of London, you know, yeah, yeah. it was the interesting, exciting parts of London, and 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 I think that, that sometimes gets overlooked. Just like when you come out, how much of a how different it was from everything else that was happening in alternative music. Yeah, I mean, I th- I, I think that's. I mean, one of the things is that history gets kind of rewritten, but London, especially, it, it's really, really faddy. So. When one band sounds like something, then everyone follows. And especially when you've got, like, record companies and stuff chasing mm-hmm. stuff. You did have this whole kind of thing that, you know, like, uh, you know, Ride and Lush came along. And then suddenly, everything sounded like, like them. Mm. You know, like blanket across London. And then, you know, the record companies came in. They all had to have one of those. Um, and we just... We didn't sound like that, you know. It's, it's kind of we weren't good enough musicians to pretend to be something we weren't, yeah. you know. So, so um, I think there's there's always a thrill when when the when the tide gets turned, you know what I mean. And it was we started seeing people turn up to the gigs. That that was the weird thing, you know. For for years, it was li- literally just our friends, mm. you know what I mean. Anyone we we could rope in. And then just suddenly it started to turn and they were such an interesting group of people who were following us and they looked great and they had great taste. And it, everything spirals upwards, you know what I mean? Suddenly you can be performers on stage. You can't be performers to a semicircle of, of yeah. you know, nobody. Suddenly you can, you can play with it, you know, and you, and you can expand and you can do all those things. Um, but, you know, it, it's such a weird thing because, you know, people talk about London and Britain. It's just that we were singing about our lives. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's all that it was. If, if we'd grown up in Tokyo, we would have yeah. 
you, we, we heard a song about Tokyo. You know, it, it, it's it's not a it's not a London thing or anything like that. It's just again a lot of the the the, the bands and the records we really liked. You know, the the, the Smiths and the uh, and the Jam and people like that had that. They they were just singing about what had happened to them and the people around them, and we were really lucky that no one else was doing it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's the first record you bought, Matt? Now I'm I'm not sure. It's it's really weird. I was I was thinking about this earlier, um, and I was looking through I was looking through some old singles and thinking it might have been that. And there's there's a whole lot of ABBA stuff there, but I think that was bought for me. But it's possible I bought some ABBA stuff and Toya. But I had a I had a relative who liked Toya, so it might have been that. And then I remembered, in I think 1978. My friend Simon Deer cycled over to my house. No, I cycled over to his house. And we came back to mine to listen to Blondie. Uh, uh, I'm always touched by your presence, dear, which I absolutely love and still love to the day. And I put the the record in the... What are those things called on the back of your bike? You remember the... It's like a sprung thing for putting like your bags and stuff in kind you might be too young the back of my bike you used to have like oh a, like the, the sort of the, the yeah i know exactly what you mean yeah the, 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 there's the, a name for them yeah there must be like a saddled sort of type thing that on the yeah i know I, what you mean and i had one of them and it had like a sprung thing to hold yeah. stuff down and i put the single in there and obviously managed to smash it into yeah yeah they were quite pieces. aggressive they were like yeah, a yeah. giant mass yeah, trap was, weren't it was, they it was a really stupid thing to do with a with a single so I'm pretty sure the first record I ever bought is that right. to give back to Simon Deere. So I don't own the first record yeah. I ever bought. But, um, but yeah, it kind of gives you the sense of the, the importance of the kind of physical objects at that yeah. time. I mean, literally, you know, we would go to people's houses with these things, yeah. you know, and then you'd put them on and listen to them and, you know, and, and listen to them not, not doing something else. I, I'm, I'm terrible for that now, you know, I'll listen to new records when I'm in the car or doing the washing up or something. This was like you'd sit around and listen. And stare the at the sleeve. Yeah, exactly. It was, like, it was like reading a book or something. Yeah. And, and I guess for a, a, a young man, staring at a blondie sleeve was, was, yeah, was yeah, very well, I mean, pleasing, it, it's wasn't kind it? Of, I, can t- I can totally um, remember that, that first... Top of the Pops appearance, where she's kind of she's got the beret and, so the, cool. and the French. She's uh, still amazing, I think. Incredible. And I think one of the things that's that's not sad but difficult is is that she doesn't really get the credit she deserves because she's so beautiful. Yeah. It's almost like imagine if she wasn't, and then first of all hear her voice. She's got. A, Great, a really, really underrated voice, really beautiful voice that just skates across records. Then there's the songs she's written, which are amazing, you know, like perfect pop records. But also just the way they they kind of rode popular culture. Yeah, you know what I mean. They did the fifties thing, they did the punk thing, they did. I mean, they brought the sound of rap music to people yeah. who would never have heard it with bags of integrity they, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, 
that that period, the kind of mid seventies New York, is is still my kind of dream scenario. It's so exciting, isn't it? It's just it, it, you know the kind of birth of of, of kind of. Blondie and television and the Ramones, and, heads. yeah, and all those people. But at the same time, as, as hip hop's literally being invented, yeah. like four miles away, yeah. And then you've got Studio Fifty Four, and then you've got like Paradise Garage and all those kind of things. The first proper like yeah. dance clubs, and this was all happening, you know, in an area that's the, you know the size of London. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. But you look at you look at her and specifically her and Chris, and they were so cool, and they were so they just got the right thing. Yeah. So you know what I mean? They got the Warhol thing, and they got the uh, the kind of cable TV thing, and um, they, they just everything they did was interesting and right and they've just got amazing taste it's an underrated thing to always have great taste until kind of island of lost souls or yeah something where they went mental yeah <laughs> you have to have an album where you go nuts yeah exactly exactly makes the other ones look good so we, we spoke about uh, the excitement of of, of, of Suede and, and 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 the explosion and and how quickly it felt for people probably outside of the band um when you took hiatus, how, yeah. how was that for you? Um, it was very, very strange. It was like so many things in my life. I kind of hated it at the time, but it was really, really good for me. I mean, it was weird because when it happened, I was... I just... I didn't want to do anything connected with the music business again. I was convinced that the music business was this kind of cesspool. That it was, you know, it was kind of money-obsessed and backbiting and facile and all these kind of things. And then, of course, what happens is you go and work in any other job and you realise it's not the music industry that's like that, it's industry. Yeah. <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like, I'm sure, I'm sure if I you know, become a nurse... Yeah. You'd still be going, oh, my God, these people just get on because of who they know. Grass is always greener, isn't it? I think it is, yeah, you know. And um, it was was strange. It was kind of, I have absolutely no skills. Uh, And being in a successful band almost strips you of skills. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, not only do I not know how to do anything... (laughs) <laughs> I've also had other people to do stuff for me all that sure. time. Um, I mean, you're underselling yourself a little bit. Well, now. no, I mean, come it's, on, it's true. It took me like it took me like two years of kind of driving vans and stuff to to get a writing job, you know. And the, and I, I did a bit of journalism and and did some web stuff and I wrote and you know all kinds of things. But it was. It was it was really really good. I've I've never done anything else. I mean that's the that's the weird thing. I had kind of temp jobs, but I'd never really worked when when the band started. Um, and it makes you incredibly blasé about how great it is being in a band. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's 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 a really. I needed to do it. I think we all needed to do it to understand how magical our lives had been up until that sure. point. You know, it's kind of, and then when we came back, it was. It's always it's always in my mind now, that that this is this is really special. This is an incredible way to spend your days on earth. It's an incredibly privileged thing to do and, and not to ever let it become ordinary. And we try really hard not to do long tours or yeah. to do kind of like brand sponsorships or anything that's just going to make it feel work a day. Was it the Teenage Cancer Trust was the first gig in, in, in a while, am I right there? Yeah, it was. I mean, we'd never talked about getting back together. I was, I, I didn't think about it. I mean, I saw Brett quite a lot. He lives around the corner from me. Um, and, and Neil's a neighbour as well. But, you know, it wasn't something we ever talked about. And then, um, and then Brett phoned up and said, look, the Teenage Cancer Trust have, have said, do we want to play um, the Royal Albert Hall? And, I mean, it was a cause that meant a lot to all of us, but specifically, you know, like Brett and Bernard had both, had both been through family things with it. Um, and the Royal Albert Hall is really special to us as a band. It was kind of that gig that we played there was this, like, oh, my God, we're a proper band. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is... This is, this is there are boxes it's kind of, <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a big deal so um so i said yes we said yes um genuinely the idea was we do this and then we stop again and we all thought this is it would be a really cool thing because it had ended in such a kind of like, the first time around this would be a really nice way to end it you know no one can say we're doing it for the money or yep. anything like that. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be great. Um, uh, and it was just too much fun. You know what I mean? It's literally, we got off stage and it was like, oh, we have to do that again. When, when I saw the, the, that, um, that part of the documentary where that show happens, you, you couldn't hide the joy. It, no, it, it, no. And, and, and the ferocity and, and excitement in Brett's performance at the, as the, at the front mm -hmm. was was just it was like th this this is a vital band this, but, it can't stop. But the, the the thing that you forget is we had no idea how it was going to go down. You know, we didn't know if we were going to sell any tickets because you know we, we weren't on the radio or anything like that. We had no idea whether there was any kind of like well of of, of of kind of love for the band. You must know that there's 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 an, like a passion for Sway. It doesn't really People... work that way though. It's it's really strange because in the time that that we were we we were away was the time when bands of that era it was the least fashionable thing possible. So you never heard us on the radio. People didn't talk about us. It felt almost like we you know we weren't part of of that culture. Why do you think that was? Um, I think mainly because it's, it's, it's cyclical, you know what I mean? It's kind of like we've been through this so many times. We're quite a, a, a Marmite band and we'd been really up and then we made a terrible record and, and it all just fizzled out. I think people were almost embarrassed. 
You know what I mean? It was kind of like, oh yeah, those guys. Oh God, they really fucked that up. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think so. It, but it was really st- <laughs> one of the weird things is that I would work in. You know, sometimes at temp and I'd work in kind of like offices and stuff. No one would ever mention suede. Um, and then, and but then, you would do like what temporary work in, in offices, and nobody was like. No. That's the guy from Swipe. No, 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 no. No one would ever, ever say anything. And then weirdly, kind of like years later, when we got back together, people would say to me, oh, God, you know, you, you worked alongside me on, you know, such and such a problem. I love Swade. And I was like... Now you recognise me. <laughs> I think people, you know, people are kind of embarrassed by you. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, if I don't bring it up, and I'm not going to bring it up, yeah. they don't bring it up. Do you think that's just people's misconception that if you've been on top of the pops, you're a multimillionaire? Um, <laughs> yeah, there is that. Someone, someone said to me recently, um, actually a poet, they were talking, talking about how much money he makes, and he said, the amount of money I'd like to make is the amount of money people think I make. Yeah. And it's totally true. I mean, yeah. it would be absolutely great. I, I'm not sure. I, I think people are just... Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just... It's, it's a strange experience because... Um, it's, it's almost seen as the, like the high point of what you can do in life. Or to me it is. You yeah. know what I mean? I always wanted to be in a band. It, it always seemed to me to be. Um, so I, I guess everything looks like a, a bit of a come down. Yeah. People are just going, he probably doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure I did want to talk about it because it's, it's like, you know, I, I have an absolute fear of being one of these guys who's kind of like, do you know who I used to be? Yeah. You know that that kind of thing. You have to be kind of forward-looking, and it it is in the past. And and as I say, at the time, I, I I didn't think we'd ever play again. So, what are your thoughts on nostalgia? Um, and what are your thoughts on bands from that that that, that may have had more success in yesteryear playing that album? I think we were one of the first people to do it. We did, we did, we did. You know, all five albums we played at the ICA just not long before we split up. Um, I'm, I'm all in favour of it. I, I kind of like. We spent a lot of time making those records into records, into albums. You know, and they're meant to be listened to in a certain way. I, I don't have a problem with it at all. I couldn't just do it. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, literally we did about four gigs, I think, after the um, Albert Hall. And then we were like, okay, either we make another record or, or we stop. Because I, I, can't, I couldn't just do it. I mean, I, st- I still get a thrill from, you know, the Metal Mickeys and Animal Nitrates, which mainly comes from the crowd, mainly comes yeah. from the reaction and the way. But... Um, only because it's alongside other stuff and, and, and new stuff, you yeah. know, uh, only because it, it's, it's part of that. Um, and that's just, I think, the same thing about it, tr- trying to make sure that it doesn't get ordinary, you yeah. know what I mean? It's, it, it's such a balancing act, you know, you, know you, you play songs, you play the wild ones or something, and you always get someone who comes up and says... Oh, I got married to that song, or you know, I had my first kiss to that song, or whatever. You know the, these things, and you can't 
you can't deny that. I mean, that's one of the reasons for making records is that you want them to be, you know, caught up in people's lives. You know, they, they shouldn't sit over there. It's, it, it, it's lovely. You know, the records we're talking about now, when I hear them, I, I can feel the feelings I had when I first heard them. I know where I was when I heard them, those kind of things. Um, and I'm not sure that's nostalgia. You know, that's just, that's just life. You know yeah. what I mean? That's just yeah. memories. Um, it was... We were very wary. We... I'm not going to name any names, but we went to see a few kind of reformed bands before we did the Albert Hall. And it re I think it helped focus us a little bit. You know, the, the, the ones with the string sections and the stuff on tape and the drummers with headphones and stuff, you were suddenly kind of like they might as well just play the record. Yeah. You know what I mean? This really is nostalgia. You know, it's, it's, I can say I've seen it. So we were very deliberately, that, that first gig, it was, it was, you know, the five of us really tight together, no click tracks, nothing like that, trying to be almost like when we very first started, just the joy of, of making a racket and it being loud and, and yeah. that kind of thing. And we try and stick with that even now. It's, you know, every time I go and see other bands, I'm, kind of, I'm amazed at how professional they are and all the stuff, the backing, you know, it's like a 747 at the yeah. back there. Um, but it's, it just it, it doesn't suit us at all. Yeah. And you, ha you have to be in the moment, you know. There has to be a danger of it all falling apart yeah which it does sometimes let's talk about clubbing and I want to know for track five the song that soundtracked your years in club land was you a clubber <sighs> no not really okay. I've, I've, I've always been a kind of like bedroom hi-fi kind of guy um, but yeah I, I guess for the first I used to go down to Brighton a lot me and Brett used to go down to Brighton a lot um, and go to clubs there uh, and Brighton is, is, is amazing for clubbing because you've got the beach. We used to go to a place called the Escape Club, which is, is right on the beach. And literally, you know, when it, when it finished, you'd sit on the beach with a can and wait for, wait for the morning, <laughs> morning train back to Hayward's Eve. But we used, to go, we used to go to a club called the Sunshine Playroom, um, which I have incredibly fond memories of because it was so crazily eclectic they used to play a lot of um, it's named after a Julian Cope track and so they used to play a lot of stuff like that but then quite kind of quite kind of like twee stuff lots of orange juice and really early primal scream when they were yeah. jingly jangly and these kind of things but the guy who ran it who in fact I have no idea who it was just had this really, really interesting music taste. So you'd have all of those things. Uh, and then you'd have, you know, bits of soul and bits of funk. You know, I can remember him playing, like, Cross the Tracks and stuff like that, next to, like, the Modettes. Yeah. You know, it was, and at that time, you just didn't um, worry about that. It, it was, I think, before... Before music had become so kind of tribalised and, and stratified that 
if you had like an indie club in Brighton, which isn't huge, you had to play kind of anything that was cool. Yeah. Um, so it's really weird. So tracks like the, the track um, that we're talking about, the Jackson Sisters, I Believe in Miracles, I first heard, you know, with kind of like after the razor cuts and before, you know, Tallulah Gosh or something. Yeah. It, it was kind of really weird. Oh, that's a mashup. Yeah, it, it, it really <laughs> is. I'm talking about it now. I'm kind of like, yes, you might have been a bit mental. Whoever was really <laughs> lots, of, oh, lots of psychedelia as well. Right, they play okay. like the birds and. So um, when was this? Right, so I guess I was probably like 16, 17, so 67, 77, 83, something okay. like that. Um, maybe a little later. I mean, we went to it for a few, for a few years. Um, and, yeah, the, 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 there's lots... That track especially was, was, was kind of... I, I mean, I... I love I, I Believe in Miracles. I think it's just a, a wash of, of, of pure pleasure. You know, I, I do love records like that. Um, but there, there's something, you know, there's something really lovely about those crossover things because when I, when I came up to London um, and I was studying at a university, um, you know, we used to go to, like, the WAG and the Mud Club and things like that. Um, which was okay, you know, I kind of, there's lots of those rare groove records that, that I still love to this day. But it was very, very posy, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And there's something about small town clubbing when everyone's kind of pushed in together and you're not all exactly the same. Sure. And you can afford the clothes that everyone else is, is wearing. That I look back on really fondly. And... I didn't, you know, I didn't really do much clubbing for for a long time until it all kind of started up with, you know, like um, smashing and blow up and things like that yeah. that were kind of around around the, the kind of the birth of Britpop, I think. And then it was kind of, it was as much about the, the kind of clothes as anything. It's yeah. like suddenly everyone kind of looked really cool. Yeah. I had this really weird experience. I used to go up to Manchester because um, I had friends up there and Brett was studying up there. Um, and I went to a few of those kind of the early like Blackburn raves, which is not my kind of music yeah. really. But I had I had a couple of friends up there who had they brought out a record in oh God, I can't think what yeah it's called Hardcore Uproar. Mm -hmm. Do you know that record? Mm -hmm. they're, they're two of my oldest friends who made that record. Um, so I used to go up and see them, and we'd go to you know we'd go to the Blackburn raves, we'd go to the Hacienda and stuff like that. And that was the first time I saw, like, over about a month, an entire city's dress sense change. You could literally see every... People were going out to the clubs, seeing people in beanie hats and, you know, massive flares and having some of that. Uh, and then every time you went up, it was kind of like it got bigger and bigger. Yeah. I, I love that. And it's, there was that kind of thing of going to, like, blow up and smashing and things like that in, in the 90s. Just it's kind of like, where did these people come from? Because yeah. you just you don't, London's big enough, you don't see them in the street, Completely. and suddenly it's like this dressing up box has has been opened. What did you want from clubbing? Um, oh, to meet girls, I guess. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I I cannot dance to save my life. Um, 
So would you though? Would I dance? Yeah. If I could. No, no, no. Like when you'd go clubbing, would you dance? Oh, a little bit. Really, <laughs> really not very much. I'm a terrible... People can't see how pained you look about I, thinking I know, about it I at know. the moment. No, no one needs to see it. <laughs> they really don't. I mean, I think that, that, that that's one of the problems. It's kind of like if you don't, if you don't really like dancing, then clubs aren't yeah. the best place. It was, always, it was always about kind of like what happened after the club, really, yeah. I suppose. We used, to, where, where did we, used to, we used to go to Feet First. Oh, we all went there. Um, yes, right, Jonathan and Jonathan. Jonathan and Eco. That's right. I used to, me and me and Justin from Elastica used to live just round the corner from there, opposite the Spread Eagle pub, and we used to go to that kind of religiously. But that was as much a hangout as anything yeah. else. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like, and just to check that they're playing our records. Yeah, I mean? it's kind of like if we go, they've got to play one. Yeah, time. yeah, because Justin. Was he in Elastica at the time, or was this when he was in... Oh, who was he in before Elastica? Spitfire. Spitfire. Um, I, met him when, I met him when he was in Spitfire, and then he drummed for, for Suede for a little bit. Oh, um, that's right. Of course he did. Of course he did. But he was in, like, seven other bands. Yeah. Because um, he still... I know Justin, and he, he still drives the van every now and again for he Suede, does, and he's, yeah, he's yeah, involved yeah, with yeah. you guys, he's, isn't he? Last time I see him, he was, he was about to jump in the van and, oh, he's, and travel he's, about he's with you. He's one of my favourite people on earth, he really is. He's an absolute, he's a lovely, lovely guy. Uh, yeah, and we, we lived there, I mean, before he was in Elastica, um, in fact, Justine probably met him through us living in that house. I, rem- I remember Elastica being formed, literally, you know, I remember meeting Donna for the yeah. first time and her coming round and Annie and, you know, hearing their little demos and stuff and just being kind of like, oh, my God, this is great. I'm really, you know... Yeah. I was kind of surprised because Justine, she's a really quick study, but when I first met her, she was into, like, uh, Bob Dylan and John Martin and, and lots of kind of yeah. hippie stuff, and she's kind of completely reinvented it. But, yeah, so me and Justin used to go... We, we'd go to Feet First and then just... I remember... For for like a year, um, <laughs> we had this really dodgy dentist <laughs> who uh, would give you would would give you a, a prescription for tamazepam for, for the for the fear of for the fear of um, of going to the dentist. Right. And so we used to go to feet first, and then we'd come back, and it'd be me and him and Chris from Lush, um and whoever. Had, I wandered along, and then we take some tamazepam and play chess. Just, just a good chess player, and and yeah, that was that that, that was my club. <laughs> it's, it's not really what you imagine. So if you can't dance, kids, that's what you need to be yeah, doing. Exactly. No, it's it's, it's 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 really really not. I, I don't recommend it. Okay, I'm going to take you back to your home county uh, for the next track, and I want to know uh, a favourite song from an artist from there. Well, it's, I'm now worrying that The Cure aren't from Sussex. Okay. They were definitely the most, the only local-ish band. Okay. You know what I mean? From, you can have that. They're from Crawley, which is about um, 15 miles, 10 miles north of, north of Haywards Heath, where, where I grew up. Um, and they've been kind of favourites on and off, literally since, since they started. They're one of those bands that I kind of dip into and, and dip out of a lot. You know, it's... Um, 
I don't think I really appreciated quite how strange they were uh, when I was growing up. You know, you go back to the, 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 those records now and you listen to how they started off power pop, then they did these three really dark records. As dark as it gets. And then just suddenly they're doing, like, Love Cats and stuff. Yeah. It's a real turning on a, turning on a sixpence stuff. It's, 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 it's really, really clever. But they the re- don't sound like anyone, The Cure. No, uh, he's got a really distinctive voice, yeah. I think, which, which always makes a difference. You know, his, his, his way of singing is, re- is really mm. interesting. Um, the, reason, the reason I picked A Forest, and I could have picked, you know, there's, there's millions that I love, but I was, in, I was in Beijing last summer. I worked in Beijing for a month uh, working on some, with, with some Chinese bands. And when I was there, I, I DJed a couple of times. Um, and I was talking to people there about what they liked and what music they liked. And they like a really specific mix of British stuff. They, everyone loves Pink Floyd. It's kind of blanket. Mm-hmm. The punks love Pink Floyd. The, you know, the hippie, they all love Pink Floyd. Um, they all love Joy Division, mm-hmm. which is, Beijing is just like a Joy Division town. And they all love the cure. Um, so, you know, I, I would so I would DJ there and I played at a forest a couple of times and people went nuts. Absolutely nuts. And it was it was so lovely to see. It really was. This kind of like it's just it's just really a riff. Yeah. That song, you know what I mean? It's it's I know, you know, his voice is great and everything, but it's it's just an insistent little riff. But the idea that this record that was written, you know, 10 miles from where I grew up by, by a bunch of teenagers, yeah. basically, um, was being played 40 years later yeah. in a nightclub in Beijing and having exactly the same effect, the, the same emotional effect, the same physical effect. It's just, you know, when that happens, and it happens a lot, it's kind of like you, you, you're suddenly reminded of, of how unlikely it is that this series of you know kind of the series of microphones being moved through the air then cut onto a, cut onto a metal disc then printed onto plastic then digitized 30 years later and played off an iphone into a speakers still has ex- exactly the same effect it's it's a it's a great great thing and it's a great, it's a lovely record do you enjoy DJ? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't really. It's it's it's. Um, I like playing records, you know, um, but I'm I you know I don't beat match or anything like that. So I always feel like a a bit of a fraud. Um, it's just you know I've done it a few times in in Italy because I've got friends there with cl- who've got clubs and um and in China it's I love I love playing records I love playing records to people who who yeah. don't who don't know them and I love seeing other people dance yeah but um no it's too stressful for me I always I always press the wrong button and there's <laughs> there's moments of silence you know what I mean okay well, you're going to get to play DJ now um, because for the final track, uh, I'm going to ask you uh, to recommend a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. 
Well, it's funny enough, when I picked this song, I was just talking to someone this morning, and he was asking about this. And, and I said, oh, for, the, for the final track, I'm going to do Nothing But a Heartache by um, The Flirtations. And he was like, oh, that was on a KFC advert. It was. Which I didn't realise, so it's kind of like... I was thinking, oh, this is nice and obscure. I think so, KFC just must have just so, so probably the, ins- the best of Northern Soul album because they, they put loads of Northern Soul tracks on all their, their adverts for a couple of years. So probably this isn't as kind of like unknown as, as everyone thinks. But um, this is just a tune. I have no idea where I first heard it. Um, oh, in fact, I do know where I first heard it. I've got a friend, a friend in New York, a guy called Kevin Patrick, who is... Uh, he's a record company guy and he's worked with everyone, literally everyone from, you know, he kind of like started in the 60s putting on shows and managed the Ramones for a while and signed everyone, signed X. And he's, he's just one of these guys who has worked with everyone, knows everyone, loves music. Um, and he has the biggest record collection you've ever seen. I mean, genuinely, he, he'll fly over to Britain to buy record, he bought Radio Scotland's record library. Wow. And he has all of these amazing um, first issues, the ones with, where the, the middle of the record pops yeah. out. He's got, the, he's got the acetate of C, Emily Play. Wow, what's um, that worth? It, well, the, the funny thing is, his, his daughter has a list of, if I die, these are the ones that you have to keep from being thrown out. <laughs> and it's literally, it's record collector's... You know, yeah, best, most expensive yeah. records, and he's just like that one and that one and that one. Um, but he also he has a massive, massive. He ha- he has the, the one of the coolest things actually I've ever seen. It doesn't apply to this, but he has a jukebox of a, a classic kind of uh, rock and roll and and sixties stuff, um, with the only proviso being the the little card which was saying the name of the record, mm-hmm. is written by whoever wrote the record. So he's Stone's record's written by Mick Jagger's written the thing. My gosh. Morris. It's, it's unbelievable because he does know absolutely everyone. But it is the coolest thing. He just thinks nothing of it. And every time I go in there, I'm kind of like, is that Phil Spector? <laughs> oh, that's so amazing! But anyway, he's he's a a, a lover of, of of soul and northern soul, and he played me this record uh, many many years ago, um, and it's just the sound of it. I think, I mean, the, the the sentiments are great and everything, but it everything in it breaks up. You know, the yeah. the, the the drums break up, the piano breaks up, that all of their voices are right on the right on the edge, you know, of, of tune and, and everything. And it's just, it's a, it's a rush of blood. Yeah. Um, and back when I did work in offices and stuff, there were a few r- records that I had as almost like shields before a day of, uh, of d- doing a really boring day's work. And this was always one, you know, I can still now, I can remember... Standing outside, God, an office in Swindon. That's as low as it got. And just playing this before I walked in, just to kind of like, you know, like strapping on your yeah. armor, like mental armor for the day. Um, it's a joyous record. Oh, isn't it? it's just, 
and again, you know, it's 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 a, it's about sadness, but you, it just doesn't feel that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just it just it just motors along. It lifts you up. It it does all those things that 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 music is supposed to do. And um, I there is something about records that are just on the edge of of breaking. Yeah, that I really, really love. And the other thing about it is, it sounds great wherever you play it. It's not one of those records that needs great hi-fi gear or something yeah. like that. You can play it on the tiniest transistor radio, and it sounds amazing. Yeah. It's just it, the life force in it is that strong. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a real favourite of mine. Wonderful. What's happening now, Matt? Uh, what is happening now? We are, we're on a little break. It's, we've been touring for forever and ever and ever. Um, How's that been going? Are you, are you, is, is it more fun than it's ever been? It's great. I mean, I think we're better than, than we've ever been. I know, I know everyone says that, but especially when we started, we'd never, we'd never been anywhere. I'd been out of Britain twice when Suede started. So touring was, was just a party. It really was, you know. I mean, we didn't sleep, and, and we were probably pretty rough a lot of the time. Um, and second time around, and a bit older, um, suddenly it's all about that hour and a half. We pretty much live like monks when we're on tour, mm. you know, go and see an art gallery, watch some Netflix. But it's all about making that hour and a half something special because, you know, it's the only thing we can do that, yeah. It's special. Um, so I think we sound we sound really good at, at the moment. Um, and then next year, new record, which we we're about kind of halfway through writing, two thirds of the way through. A much no orchestras, no kind of a, five people in a room, kind of a, a rock and roll record. Everything you do is a, a reaction to what you've last done. Um, and the last record, which I love, is there's lots of outside musicians and stuff. The, this one's going to be kind of like when I was talking about the Velvet Underground before. Yeah. I'd, I'd like you to hear the air move in the room. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's kind of it's that. Um, so that I've got a novel coming out in February, and then we put some really interesting touring coming out but I can't talk about it yet okay. it's not confirmed but a few places we've never been before which is going to be amazing um, and lots of, annoyingly lots of quite secret stuff okay, okay. but next year 2020 and 2021 and I've never had to think two years ahead before there's a, a lot of suede that's all I'll say wonderful <laughs> Thank you so much. No, thank you, Stuart. That was fantastic. There you go. Thank you ever so much for listening. I hope you got as much enjoyment out of listening to that as I did recording it. Matt was uh, an absolute gent and fascinating to, to sit and listen to what it was like to have been in Suede at those moments and, and, and just hearing the the whole story and, and just finding out that him and Brett were neighbours and things like that. Just Just fascinating stuff and it's, it's so nice that and I feel so lucky to, to to get the opportunity to just sit at a table and 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 you know 
pick the creative minds of so many musicians whose, whose work I've absolutely cherished over the years. So as I mentioned at the beginning, please go and check out the back catalogue as well because there's stacks of other episodes there that that you may well enjoy. And uh, also, if you're stuck for a podcast, then www.podbiblemag.com. That's the magazine put together by myself, Adam Richardson and Scroobius Pip, and it's your one-stop shop guide to podcasts not only that it does have its own podcast as well hosted by us three and you will get to hear all of your favorite podcasters talking about their podcasts as well as the podcasts they love i need to take a breath thanks once more for listening and i will see you next time bye bye oh yeah sorry i've butted in yet again i just want to quickly tell you about this magazine it's called pod bible now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free so every other month there'll be a new edition out so go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well podbiblemag.com it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him 